We're going to be today continuing through our Luke series. As you know, if you've been around in the church for a while, we're preaching through the Gospel of Luke at the moment. We've got as far as Luke chapter 9. So we're going to be looking in a moment at Luke chapter 9 uh, and the beginning part of that passage, verses 1 to 10. Now, up until now, um, the focus of Luke's Gospel, as, as our kind of branding and our little ident that we sometimes show, uh, says it's all about Jesus. Obviously, the Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus, and, and absolutely right, that, that's what we've been looking at. We've been focusing on him. It's been centered on him, on his words, on his actions, on all of the things that he started to do in his ministry. But today, in the passage that we're going to be looking at, the focus shifts slightly from Jesus to his 12 disciples, to the ones that he's called uh, to himself Having followed Jesus around on his ministry up until this point, now we're going to see them take the limelight. We're going to see him send them out, and uh, they're going to be the ones that get to have a go at doing the stuff that he's been doing. And I'd imagine, we're going to read in a moment, but um, I'd imagine that hearing those words of Jesus saying, go out and, uh, and do what I've been doing, do the stuff as you've seen me do, would have been quite a scary moment for the disciples. I'd imagine that they would have uh, not exactly uh, perhaps taken it um, with great relish. It would have been uh, quite a scary prospect. Jesus, let's, let's face it, his ministry isn't normal. It's not the kind of thing that normal people have been up to. It's, it's, uh, he's been doing exceptional things, seeing people healed, drawing crowds, preaching with great authority, uh, healing the sick, changing lives, I'm sure the disciples would have been thinking, oh man, I'm totally out of my depth here. (laughs) And it would have been a scary moment. Now, I had an experience last weekend where I was uh, a little bit out of my depth um, in a less kind of serious way, but uh, (laughs) nevertheless (laughs) worthy of note. Um, I went to a folk festival down in Devon. Uh, which, was, which was fantastic, which was a good experience. Um, and it wasn't the general experience of being at a folk festival that made me fill out of my depth. It was um, a, a, an, a workshop that I went to last Sunday morning while you were all gathering here. I was in a field in Devon uh, learning how to play the uh, piano accordion, which, you know, which was quite a good experience. Um, I'm afraid I can't. I would if I had one, but we don't tend to have them lying around here. Um, <laughs> And, and what happened was this guy picked up his, his accordion and started playing it, and it was, it was incredible. He made this incredible sound. He played all this kind of jiggy folk music, and it sounded great. And then he handed it over to me. It's like, right, it's your turn now. <laughs> and I felt that, that moment of feeling out of my depth. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? If I, if I make a noise, it's just going to sound awful. It's going to sound like a cacophony. And uh, sure enough, it, it did. Um, and you'll be pleased to know that, that by the end of the workshop, I could just about manage Bar Bar Black Sheep. Um, <laughs> But, but that, was, that was about it. And now, in a, in, a, in, a particular, in a similar way, I'm sure that the disciples would have felt completely out of their depth when Jesus sent them out. Um, and there comes that moment when you're learning, when you're um, growing in something, there comes that moment where you have to have a go, where you have to do the stuff yourself, where you have to do it yourself. And that's really what this part of the story is all about. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've seen me doing the stuff, now it's your turn. But thankfully, what we don't see is just Jesus giving them their marching orders and saying, well, off you go, I'll see you in a month or so, come back and tell me how you got on. We see him give them some specific instructions and some specific encouragements that will help them to be successful witnesses for him. And in the same way, we can hear that encouragement that Jesus has for us as we read this passage. So we're going to read Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. If you've got your Bibles, please um, uh, find that passage or else it will appear on the screen in the New Living Translation. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. 
Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from off your feet as you leave to show them that you have abandoned these people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said, so who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. So verses 1 and 2, the beginning of this shows us how Jesus deals with his disciples firstly and how he also deals with us in the same way. And what I love about this is if you, if you focus in on the verbs in the first verse that relate to Jesus, he called together his 12 disciples, he gave them power and authority, and he sent them out. Okay, He called, he gave, and he sent. And Jesus always does this. He calls, he gives, and he, he sent. He didn't just call his disciples just to be with him, just to kind of be in his cozy gang and, and, walk, and follow around with him. He didn't just bless them and give, give them lots of stuff for no reason. And he didn't just send them out empty-handed. He called, he gave, and he sent. And this is, this is something that Jesus always does. Those he calls to himself, he always equips, and he always sends out. And in fact, he never calls anyone to himself that he doesn't at the same time equip and send out. It's part of the, the dynamic of how it works, being Jesus' disciple, becoming a Christian. You are called to Jesus, you're equipped, and then you're sent out. And I wonder for you um, this morning, which of those kind of particular verbs, if you like, which of those particular actions do you most identify with? Perhaps you feel particularly aware of one aspect more than another at any particular point. Perhaps you feel more a sense of Jesus' calling, like particularly if you've Perhaps going through a tough time, you might feel the need to just come to Jesus, just to be with him, just to receive his grace. Perhaps in, during times of worship or just times like this, you, you feel a sense of like, I just need to be with Jesus, I need to be in his presence. There may be other times, perhaps you go to a Christian conference or festival or something and you, you, you receive lots of teaching and you feel particularly equipped and then you go and listen to someone like Dave Devonish preaching about going to the nations, and you feel a sense of commissioning and sending, and you come back and think, right, yes, I'm sent to go out. And at any one time, you can feel, kind of relate to different, different ones of these. Now, Jesus loves to call you and, and bless you, and I think it's really important to note that the first thing he did here was he called his disciples to him. In the midst of all the ministry that he'd been doing, he calls them to himself, and, and he loves to do that. He loves to call his people to himself so that he can refresh them, so that he can take time out to speak to them. And that's what I love about um, this time over these few weeks over August. We're here gathered together as a whole church together. And uh, there's a sense that God wants to speak to us, wants to bless us, wants to refresh us and equip us um, as we look forward to to going out again to multi-sites back in the autumn. God loves to be the good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. But in all of that, He's, his eye is outward. His eye is looking outward. He's refreshing us. He's equipping us so that he can then send us out. He's preparing us to go. So he calls his disciples to him. He gives them what they need, and then he sends them out. But what does he actually send them out to do? Well, it says in the first couple of verses, he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And you can almost hear the collective gulp from the disciples at, at that point as he said these words. 
are you serious, Jesus? You want us to go out and tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick? That's well scary. How, how do we do that? I'm sure they would have felt a bit like me at the accordion workshop when I was handed this thing. Like, where do I start? How do I do this thing? The minute I open my mouth, a horrible noise is going to come out. I much prefer listening to you, Jesus. I much prefer following you. You're the expert at this. You're the one who, who does the stuff so brilliantly. And maybe many of us can relate to that. We can feel that way about evangelism, can't we? About telling others about Jesus and about praying for the sick. We can feel totally out of our depth, feel like we're total novices, ill-equipped and unprepared. And, and we can think of any number of other Christians who we could, could see as being much more equipped and better at it than us. And perhaps we could think, well, they're the ones who should be doing that. They're the ones who are really bold. They're the ones who are really experienced, much more anointed than us. And that's why it's important for us to look today in more detail at what Jesus has given us, because this is something for all of us. This is a commission for all of us. Okay, in the next chapter, in, in chapter 10, Luke, uh, Jesus sends out 70, 72 other disciples, and then obviously at the end of the gospel, he sends um, his, uh, uh, in the beginning of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, the whole church is commissioned. This is something that is for all of us. So where, where, whatever you're at, wherever, whatever you feel gifted at, whatever you, kind of personality you've got, however you feel about witnessing about evangelism about praying for the sick this is for you okay so what did jesus give them first thing is power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases pretty awesome statement now authority and power are two very important things but they're very different so authority is the right to do something power is the ability to do that thing uh, now, the interesting thing about this is that it's, this is not some kind of cartoon power-up. Like, I don't know, like, do you remember He-Man? This guy was Adam, and he was a normal guy, and then suddenly he'd kind of power up and become He-Man and go and save the world. It's not what it's like. I'm sure that when the disciples heard these words of Jesus, they wouldn't have suddenly felt this kind of amazing power-up in them. Um, but it, as they go, as they would have gone, they started to see the results. And that's really what power and authority in this sense works like. Particularly with authority, you can't really kind of see it you have to just trust in it and move in it there's a wonderful uh, scene from um, season two of 24 anyone watch 24 Do you remember that that was a classic uh, early kind of dvd box set thing that um, i used to watch <laughs> it's old enough now to be a classic i think <laughs> but <the laughs> maybe in my ear but there's this scene in, in season two where Jack Bauer who's the hero not the guy in the church um, but there's a guy in the church called Jack Bauer in case you didn't know um yeah, but, um, but th- this, is, this is the Jack Bauer from 24. So he tries to come back into the counter-terrorism unit, but he's been, he's been thrown out because of some kind of misdemeanor that he's done, and he's banned, and he can't come into the CTU, as it's called. And he tries to come in, and they, they don't let him in, but he's trying to get in because he needs to save the world because he's heard of this terrorist threat that's happening. Anyway, so what does he do? Well, he calls his good friend Mr. President. And he gets his mobile out. He's got a direct dial number to the president, of course, and uh, speaks to the president. And the president says, right, okay, Jack, I'll help you. Hand, hand the phone over to the head of CTU. Head of CTU takes the phone. This is the president. You must let Jack Bauer in, and you must give him everything he needs to save the world. The head of CTU. <laughs> okay, the head of CTU. Of course, what does he have to do? He has to let Jack in, and he has to give him his computer terminal and his kind of level six access or whatever he needs. And... And, and, and in he goes, and he does the thing. And this is, this is a good picture of, of authority and how authority works. You see, authority, when it's given, it opens doors. Authority means that you can, you're allowed to go and do something that perhaps previously you haven't been allowed to do. 
And so what, what, what authority means for us is that ordinary people like you and me actually have the right, given from Jesus himself, to command forces of evil and to command them, in Jesus' name, to, to go and, and to, to heal people. We have the right from Jesus. We've been authorized by Jesus himself to set people free. That's a wonderful part of, of, of our calling as Christians. But the right to do something isn't necessarily enough. We need the power to do it as well. If, if Jack Bauer had been let back in to CTU but didn't have these amazing powers that he had, he couldn't have saved the world. So the power to kind of go without sleep and to go without food and um, to just kind of dodge bullets and whatever else he does. With, because he had the power, he was able to go in to CTU and, and, and save the world as well. And in the same way, Jesus has given us both the power and the authority, the right to command demonic forces and to heal diseases, the right to preach the gospel, but also the power to preach the gospel. And obviously for us, um, we, we know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, so Jesus' is very presence with us to help us to go and do this stuff. And when we step out, when we actually kind of fulfill this calling, we step out in the power and the authority of the one who has all power or authority. <laughs> so we have the incredible resources at our disposal. So really, Jesus was definitely not sending his disciples out empty-handed. He'd given them his own power and authority. And I, I wonder, just, just let me kind of throw up what, what may be stopping you to, to do like this? Because I think, for, you know, for all of us, it can feel quite razzmatazz, like going out, casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching the gospel. But that, that is actually the Christian job description. That, that's what we're here to do. That's what Jesus called us to do. But I know uh, from my own experience, a lot of things can stand in the way. So fear can stand in the way. Fear of rejection, fear of people, uh, fear, of, fear of man, fear of our reputation, perhaps. All kinds of ways in which fear can stop us. Or perhaps unbelief can stop us. Perhaps we can, we can hear the words of Jesus, but we think, no, nah, he's not really going to back me up as I go. He's not, not really going to see people here. I'm not really going to see this happen. And perhaps based on, on previous experience. Perhaps comfort can stand in the way as well. Perhaps we think, actually, uh, that sounds great, but uh, I don't really fancy that. I think I'm going to carve out a more kind of comfortable existence for myself. All of these things can, can, can get in the way and, and for each of us perhaps can, can genuinely kind of stop us uh, really living out the commission Jesus has, has given us. We need to overcome these things. And the great thing is, the encouragement for us this morning is that as we do that, as we overcome and as we step out, the more we do that, the more that we will experience Jesus' power and authority working through us, the more that we will see lives changed and the more we will see people healed, people saved and that's what we want to see, isn't it? So Jesus has given us his own power and authority. He's also given us a very clear purpose for our lives. And this is a, a significant thing that um, comes from here. Now, um, verses 3 and 4, he, he gives them an interesting command. Take nothing for your journey. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Could seem not a particularly equipping <laughs> command. I mean, you know, if this mission trip is going to be anything longer than a couple of days, then surely a change of clothes would be quite important, you'd think. Like maybe this is the reason why they have to stay in one house because, you know, maybe there'll only be one person in each village that takes pity on them enough to kind of let them in. And, you know, it, it seems like an odd command, doesn't it? Like he's sending us out equipped, but you're saying that we don't, we, we can't take anything that we might need for the journey with us? What's Jesus talking about here? 
Well, the bag that's referred to um, referred to a kind of travelling bag that would have been used by itinerant preachers. In the first century, um, Judea, Galilee had loads of itinerant preachers who went around kind of uh, um, street preachers, if you like, with various different philosophies. And, and the bag kind of denoted their independence. So as they walked into town, they would have had this bag, which kind of showed that they were, they were self-contained and they went around uh, with their own kind of brand of philosophy. But they also would have used the bag to gather money, the, the kind of a busking almost type thing. They would have, they would have asked, uh, begged or, or asked people for money as they, as they kind of preached in the, in the villages as they went round. So the, the bag was kind of a symbol of independence and also um, wanting stuff from, from people, kind of having, you know, almost kind of selling something. So what Jesus is saying is that this isn't to be the way with his uh, emissaries. They're to exhibit dependence on him. Like his commission his power and authority is all that they need. This is what he's saying here. And what I love um, is in Luke's gospel is that just in case his readers would think that this sounded like bad advice, there's a little conversation that's um, in, in, during the, while Luke's telling the story of the Last Supper in chapter 22, there's a little conversation where Jesus says to his disciples, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, an extra pair of sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they replied. The disciples found that they, they did not lack a thing when Jesus sent them out like this. And uh, what, this is just this is fascinating. And, and I think what it shows is that if you're a Christian, you have been given by Jesus everything you need. Okay, this is an, kind of an allegory of life, if you like. We, as we're sent out, we have everything we need. We, we are given everything we need, and we can rely on Him. So you don't need to have been a Christian for X number of years before you go out and start telling people about Him. You do not need to have a qualification or a degree in theology before you can talk to people and be a witness for Jesus and answer their questions. You don't need to have been around church for years. You don't need to have had some kind of razzle-dazzle conversion story. You, know, you could have been brought up a Christian in church all your life. You can still be a successful witness for Jesus. You can still uh, see people healed, people set free, see people become Christians through his power and authority. Really, you have been given everything you need now, the problem is that we can get a bit distracted as well from the journey um, and distracted from the things that we are relying on for the journey. Um, so I guess this is a picture of kind of material things. So, you know, a bag, a, a staff, money, everything for the journey is kind of this material stuff, all of it, all, some of which is useful, some of which is not, but that's what the picture is here. Now, if you're anything like me, when you go camping... The packing side of the camping trip is, is, is a bit of an issue. I, I really enjoy going camping, but probably the most stressful part is the packing beforehand and thinking, have we got everything we need and is it all going to fit in the car? And do we have to leave one of the kids behind so that we can take that extra kind of transier, whatever it is? And, uh, and, and it can be stressful <laughs> packing to go camping. And, and what I find when I go camping is that uh, for that moment, I lose the perspective of why I'm going camping and what I'm doing and, and the lovely time we're going to have when we get there and what we're going to do when we're on holiday. And it becomes all about... What are we taking? Are we going to have everything we need? And we lose our focus and perspective on camping. There's a few grins. Obviously, a few people have had that experience over the summer or perhaps when we went to Catalyst. Um, now, in the same way, in life, there are many things that can occupy our minds, whether it's career, whether it's uh, what, what job are we going to do, how are our studies going, what relationships have we got, how much money have we got? Where do we live? Where are we going to go on holiday? What car are we going to get? All of these kind of considerations, which are, you know, they're, they're neutral, they're, they're material things. They're neither kind of good nor bad in themselves, 
But our focus can become distracted from the mission that God's given us onto these things at times. And actually, the mission that God's given us is an, has an eternal perspective, has an eternal importance. It's, it's unseen and it's eternal, whereas kind of stuff is just temporal and, and just here and now. And, and our focus can, can become thrown off the mission. And Jesus' call to travel light reminds us that the mission that we're on really is what it's all about. So his calling, his sending out, is the most important thing that we can possibly hear in life. It's not just that stuff will help or hinder the, the journey. That the, the point is the mission. So whatever, you, whatever purpose you had to your life before you became a Christian, your purpose now is this mission that Jesus has called you on. Okay. And this is, for me, this is one of the most attractive things about Christianity. It's one of the most attractive points about it. We get to connect in to an incredible mission that has an eternal significance. Uh, all of us want to make something of our lives, don't we? We want to make our mark. We want to feel like we've, our lives have counted for something. We want to feel like we've, we've given ourselves for a cause that's, that's worth living for. And obviously, there couldn't be anything more significant than the gospel of God, the mission of God. Just to remind you, God's, God's gospel, God's plan, encompasses every nation, every people group, every class and culture, every individual on the whole planet and in the whole of history. And it's a plan for their eternal salvation and blessing. It's good news for the whole world. And the plan obviously has the ultimate focus on, on the God who created the universe, around whom the universe revolves. <laughs> I mean, could there be anything more significant to live for? Uh, could there be anything that, w- that we could possibly give ourselves to um, that would be more important than this? The Apostle Paul was someone who, who knew this and who embodied this eternally important miss- mission. And um, when he's giving his farewell speech to the uh, fellow elders in, in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he makes this incredible state- statement, which I think really does sum up Paul's mission statement of his life. He says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And Paul's a man who totally understood this commission from Jesus, that the task that he's been given is to testify to the grace of God. And that's the task that we've been given, isn't it? To testify to the grace of God. And it's the one thing, the one focus that our lives should have, really. So let me just ask you to think about it. What, what would you say your mission statement is, if you're kind of going to be honest and write your mission statement out in a, in a similar kind of way? It, it, would it be similar to that of Paul? Or are there things that you know are kind of getting in the way? Are you traveling light on this journey, holding things lightly, or are you holding on to things and perhaps looking to things that are going to throw you off the mission? Jesus has an amazing purpose for our lives and he wants to involve us, give us this significance of making our lives count for something eternal. And that's the wonderful thing he's called us on. Um, thirdly and finally, um, Jesus has given us now, I think it says up here, a message that cannot be ignored or something like that, which is totally true. <laughs> but also the thing I want to emphasize in this is that he's given us um, no responsibility for the outcome. Okay, so it might say that up there, but I want you to think in your minds. He's given us no responsibility for the outcome. So verse four and five, it says, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate. 
there's an urgency to the gospel. This is serious news. It's not something trivial. It's like Jesus is passing through. This is your chance to meet him. This is your chance to hear him. Oh, you don't want to know? Okay, fine. We're going to the next village. That's, that's almost the kind of the tone of it. Now, some, Jesus says, look, some villages will accept this. Some won't. And what you need to do is invest in the places and the people that, that are open to this. That's almost like the strategy that Jesus is, is giving his disciples. Um, and he also paints a picture of a character who uh, is a good example of someone that rejected Jesus. Um, in verse 7, we're introduced to the character of Herod. Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, and he was puzzled, and he kept trying to see him. See, Herod was intrigued about who Jesus was, and, and he wondered, well, who is he? Some say he's a prophet who's come back to life. Some say he's this, that, and the other. Who is this person? And Herod is kind of querying his identity. And you might think, well, wow, this is, a, this is an opportunity for Jesus. You know, what, should he have gone to see him? This is an opportunity to stand before a king and, 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 and give them passage of the kingdom of God. But Jesus didn't choose that strategy. The reason he didn't was because Herod's motives were all wrong. Herod's motives were all wrong in respect to Jesus. He saw him as a threat. He's someone with popular support, someone who could lead an uprising against him, someone who could overthrow him. So he wanted to see him, but only so that he could assert what power he had, uh, thought he had over him. Now, what happens at the end of Luke's gospel is that we see that Herod's uh, request is actually granted and he gets to meet Jesus in chapter 23 after Jesus has been arrested. It says that Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. And it says that Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping a long time to see him perform a miracle. And he asked Jesus question after question. Perform a miracle. That was his heart. That was what he wanted to see Jesus do. He wanted to see him perform a miracle for his own amusement, for his own entertainment. And again, on the surface, it seems like a great opportunity. Jesus has, has the chance to, to speak to him and to give his words of life to him. But what happens silence. Jesus does not respond to anything that Herod says. Jesus was, so to speak, shaking the dust off his feet because he knew that Herod's questions were insincere. He knew that his interest was trivial. He knew that his attitude towards Jesus was, well, take it or leave it. And we're, we're shown that in the next verse. It says that Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put the purple robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. So there you go. There's Herod's interest in Jesus displayed, his true colors shown. And this shows that Jesus demands a response. Jesus' message, his gospel demands a response. You can't be blasé about him. And there's no such thing as, as neutrality as well. If you're neutral to the gospel, it's the same as rejecting it. Because Jesus is so important, he cannot be ignored. And, and people need to give him proper attention. And so he says, well, when it's rejected to his disciples, you shake the dust off your feet and go to the next place. So how can we apply this to ourselves? What does this mean for us? How does this translate to us? Obviously, we're not literally shaking dust off. What does it mean for us? Well, firstly, I'd just like you to think about the people that you know who don't know Jesus, the people who don't um, know him, who don't believe him. And I just want to encourage you, if you know of any Herods, <laughs> Okay, if there's any Herods in your life, there's people, uh, friends of yours who, who are just very kind of either trivial or frivolous towards Jesus or perhaps just openly kind of rejecting him. So Jesus' words is, well, look, you pray for them, 
faithfully take opportunities to tell them about Jesus, but if they're hard and closed, ultimately you need to understand that they have chosen their own fate. That's what he's saying here. And sometimes we can think, can't we, we can feel very responsible for our friends who don't know Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps you might think, well, I, I'm the only Christian that they know. Uh, and you feel responsible. And, and it's right to persevere. It's right to pray for people. Um, and, and, you know, God honors that. And so over time, God, God will act. But we're not to feel responsibility for their salvation, if you know what I mean. We're not to feel, um, we're not to feel that we blame ourselves when people reject the gospel. We can feel like, can't we? Oh, it's my fault. I've misrepresented Jesus. I've been a bad witness. That's why I'm a Christian. Other people are seeing loads of people saved. They're obviously really good at this. That's, you know, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. My, respons- my responsibility or their responsibility, how people respond, is not your responsibility. Okay? I've sent you as to be my witness, but you're not responsible for the outcome. So the second thing um, that I could ask in response to this is think about where you're focusing your energies. Uh, Ask God to show you the people that are open around you. God wants you to be successful as his witnesses and there may be people who are around you who who are actually open to the gospel. Ask him to open your eyes to those people. At my old job, um, I had um, people that in my team weren't particularly open at all. Very, very few conversations about the gospel. But there was a guy on another team and the lady who used to come and clean the office were more open <laughs> and I had more opportunities with them. And actually, well, that's great. And so I think it's good to, to go where there's openness. So in Luke chapter 10, it talks about go to the man and woman of peace. We know that phrase, don't we? The, the man of man of woman of peace. Well, that's, that's the right thing to do, to, to invest in those people who are actually open and who want to know and who generally want to question the gospel. So, finally, just to recap, Jesus has called us. He's sent us out, but he hasn't sent us empty-handed. We're sent with his own authority and his own power, and we're invited on his mission and given a clear eternal purpose that we can really buy into. And we're given a life-changing message that demands a response, but we're not responsible for that response. And what I love about this story is it just gives us a snippet of how God works through weak unqualified and inexperienced people, ordinary people, just like you and me, just like we all are. And just finally, um, we can see the the results. He actually uses us. If you look at verses 6 and 10, it says, they were sent out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. They did it. They went and did the stuff. Hooray! And when they returned, they reported to Jesus everything that they had done. They did it. They were successful. And this is what God's will for us is. He wants us to be successful as witnesses for him.